Peanuts? Pretzels? Explosive decompression? I'm Kevin Leeson. What's the deadliest thing to happen to a 747? Another 747. I'm Joe Fulgham. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. Please fasten your seatbelt and make sure your seat back and folding trays are in their full upright position. I'm Torin Atkinson. Thank you for flying Caustic Soda Airlines. disasters, air disasters, airplane disasters, plane crashes, all of those things. Disasters in the skies. Disasters relating to things that were at one time flying in the sky. <laughs> bird disasters. And, and they're, sudden not we'll talk about birds. Any, they're suddenly not flying any longer. It's true. And we have a special guest today from across the pond, as they say. Lucas Black. Say hello, Lucas. Hello, Lucas. <laughs> Excellent. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I figured it was. So, uh, can you tell us why uh, you're on Caustic Soda? Because I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I blame my dad for this one. Uh, he was a, a lead air crash investigator or structural analysis, um, and I was brought up around that as a kid, so I was kind of immersed in it. So, when everyone else was reading all their kind of Dr. Zeus and stuff like that, I was looking at pictures of mangled dead bodies and broken bits of aeroplane. So, that's kind of why I'm here. Awesome. That makes you an expert. I would say so. Far more expert than myself, that's for sure. Uh, the pinup is uh, the picture of a pilot from an Su-27 ejecting just as his plane hits the ground. There it is. So what we're looking at here is a plane. A Sugoi Su-27, I believe. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, crashing into how many people? A, a large crowd, yeah. 85, 85 fatalities? 85 fatalities and over 100 injured. Uh, it is the worst air show accident to date. In the Ukraine. Uh, worldwide worst, but this happened in the Ukraine, yeah. yeah. And uh, the picture is amazing because it has everything. Everything you want in an air crash is happening here. You can see the guy ejecting at the very last second. He's got his plume of uh, fire Jet. coming out of his ass. And uh, the plane is crashing into a bunch of people. And people are screaming and, and running, running. And there's smoke. It is... It's pretty amazing. It's pretty fearsome. And uh, there are some horrible, just oh. incredibly graphic and oh, gruesome man. video about this as well, if you're interested in seeing it. And I don't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, uh, the, the, but... the old school disclaimer, the, this may not be for the weak of heart. Yeah, but we'll link to it on it causticsodapodcast.com. Is... Sorry, causticsodapodcast.com. It's probably the most disturbing video that we've looked at. Today. And here's here's the reason why. It's not so much that you see a lot of people getting hit by the plane, which would be bad. You'd watch it and go, ooh, that's bad. It's that the guy filming then runs up and films the aftermath, which yeah. is just bits of people. That's and... what you don't that's the stuff they don't show on Spike TV. You right. always see the guys crashing into the ground. They were like bloody and ejecting safely. Where obviously yeah. people had been standing moments before yeah. before the aircraft. And there's people in half. Like there's ha there's his top half, there's his bottom half. It's it's oh man. So Aviophobia or aviatophobia for the fear of flying. Okay. Or, if you want the longer version, pteromerhanophobia. Wow. That's, that's a long that's one. That's pterodactyl with a T as in pterodactyl. Uh-huh. 
and then a bunch of other syllables. So, so, so what, you, what you actually mean is Tara with a P. And I would, I would kind of guess that it had a T in there. That's Tara with a P as in pterodactyl. Right, right. Uh, May 6, 1937, of course. This was in New Jersey, Lakehurst, New Jersey. The LZ-129 Hindenburg caught on fire. Everyone's seen this. Oh, yeah. It's uh, some pretty spectacular footage. If Anybody who hasn't seen this, and I, I doubt that anybody listening to this podcast will not have seen this. And, of course, listen to Herbert Morrison's recorded radio eyewitness report. It's uh, it, it's quite spectacular because it, it happened at night, luckily enough. happened at night, <laughs> so the uh, the giant fireball was really spectacular. Now, here's something else interesting. Did anyone die? Yes, in fact. Uh, 35 people of the 97 on board were killed. Oh. And one person on the ground was also killed. You th- actually, you look at that footage and you go, wow, only 35 out of 97. That's actually pretty impressive. Considering there's a huge yeah. <laughs> a huge filled balloon full of very well, combustible gas, yeah. helium. yeah, Or, uh, sorry, hydrogen. Uh, yeah. That, That's uh, what we're thinking. <laughs> yeah. Consumed with flame. And only like one third of the passengers actually died. Yes, sorry, Lucas, you're going to say something? So back then, 35 is pretty bad in an air disaster, I suppose, really. Right. Yeah, Nowadays, that's true. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, at that same uh, station, Lakehurst, in 1986, they launched an experimental helistat, which is basically a giant blimp with four helicopters attached to the underside. Uh, oh, let me get this straight. Hold on a second. I'm going to build a mental picture here. Sure. You got a uh, balloon. Yeah. And you've attached four helicopters yeah. to the balloon. Yeah, to kind of a housing underneath the balloon. There's four helicopters. Okay. And they're all attached to this. Um... It seems kind of redundant. Why don't you just make four helicopters into well, one the giant reason, helicopter? Well, the, the reason they made Like, why the balloon? Like, where, the, where does the balloon part come in that seems so extraneous? It was made for uh, moving wood, actually, for logging, trying to get logging out of the, out of the woods. Okay. So uh, what they they wanted to com- they wanted to combine the fact that the that you would have the static lift of the large balloon. If you get enough, you could basically make it so that it's got an even amount of lift compared to the weight of the four helicopters. Okay. So then all the power of the helicopters could be applied to lifting all the extra oh stuff of, that you're carrying. Lifting the actual helicopter bodies themselves. Right. Exactly. The helicopter bodies themselves are being lifted by the the large uh, blimp balloon. So like if you turned all the helicopter <clears throat> rotors off, it would just it would just hang in air in right perfect there. stasis. Yep. That's what it says right there. So anyway, what happened was, of course, this being the air disaster episode. <laughs> The, spoiler alert! <laughs> All these stories end with a disastrous airborne event. I did not see that coming. <laughs> so this one time, I was in a plane and uh, we landed, and it was fine. Yeah, let's do a podcast about that. There was some unexpected wind, I guess, which you know <laughs> you, you can possibly have accounted for, and this caused vibrations, and the helicopters just started falling off of the housing like one by one. The helicopters fell off of the blimp. Yeah. To show you. If you see if you see an image of this thing, you just look at it and go, "Yeah, I'm not surprised." Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a monstrosity, right? It's like some sort of Frankenstein's aircraft. Yeah, it, it really <laughs> does. Yeah. Cobbled together from spare parts and whatnot. First one helicopter falls off, the rotors cut into the, uh, the envelope of the blimp, and then it just goes all it just goes all haywire. It goes wrong. Yeah. So, Lucas, tell us about uh, tell us about your uh, dear old pop. Well, he was. Born in 1920, he wanted to go into the RF, didn't go into the RAF because he was too much of a scientist by his early age straight away, so he went into accident investigation because he's a pretty good structural analysis. And this is about what, uh, when? 
this would have been 1936. He wasn't allowed to go to the war because they already knew by then that he was going to be a good scientist. And talking to people that used to work with him, they said, yeah, he was he was way ahead of the game. Yeah, they don't want him to get yeah, shot in that valuable, valuable brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm quite glad, actually, myself. Yeah, well, for sure. For sure. Uh, but he's the guy who actually did write the book on accident investigation. Um, the book? The there's, there's, there's a book? There is a book. Back in 1947, he published a book on structural analysis of aviation disasters. And in 1946, he published a work about trajectory plotting, where you trace bits of broken aeroplane on the ground mm. all the way back up to where they came off the sky, so you can see the order things all fell apart. Uh, took some of these to a museum, which was run in part by some of the modern-day air accident investigators, and said, thought you might be interested in these. And they just turned around and said, we've already got copies. We all have to study it still. Oh, so, <laughs> interesting. So, yeah, that's, uh, he wrote the book. The, I, the interesting part of that story is he didn't realize he had written the book. This is true. He was just doing his job. Um, civil servant in the UK, a bit like the design of the hovercraft and all these type of things. It's just in the jet engine. It's just people doing their job in the civil servant of the government. They go home at the end of the day, have their tea. It's, it's no big deal. It's what they're paid yeah. to do. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so, uh, how many disasters did he investigate? Uh, I can't even put a number on it myself. I've got a, a storage room that is just full of accidents and incidents. Well, give well us some. Give us hundreds. some. Well, like, was he like the only guy out there, or was, were there were there that many air disasters early on in aviation that? Well, there was um, loads of people doing it back then, but there were quite a lot of yeah disasters he was mainly military and they called him over to do the civilian stuff as well because it was the center of excellence for doing all this type of stuff so yeah he um he just started off straight away in fact in the first in the second world war first world war wasn't that old in the second world war uh, when the lancaster bombers and the spitfires started falling out of the sky he started putting them together on scaffold structures and replacing all the bits and pieces and kind of rebuilding the airplane in a hangar putting the puzzle back uh, together yeah, putting the puzzle Humpty, together, Humpty and he Dumpty. was the first person to do that, and the newspapers came up with the term Jigsaw of Death. <laughs> jigsaw of Death. <laughs> yeah, it's not even nowadays they come up with that, but the idea is you put all these bits and pieces back on the aeroplane, and you can start to see the tear went this way, this bit's discoloured, that bit's not discoloured, so these two must have separated before this bit caught fire, and you can actually see this. I've seen a couple of these. I saw the um, 747, the Libya aircraft that was blown up by terrorism, mm. and I've seen this reconstruction in the hangar and you can actually see where the bomb started and wow. how the structure spreads out from that one particular point where all the main area around the bomb they're very very small sharp bits of shrapnel and the further out you go the pieces get bigger where they've been less affected by the blast right. and you've just been ripped apart by the forces on the aeroplane right that, like you imagine oh that makes perfect sense and why didn't anybody think of it beforehand but there's that kind of critical mass where you need that one person to come up with a new innovative idea to you know, investigation and he must have seen some some pretty horrible things then. Well, yeah, the same thing with rebuilding an aeroplane and finding out where bits fell off also works with humans <laughs> within the aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> and they they did all sorts of tests with pressurization of goats, which was quite messy. Oh, and, really? Uh, during the 1950s, when a Comet airliner crashed, the RAF loaded up all their transport planes with dummies all dressed up in the latest fashions, clothing of the day, <laughs> and just threw them out of aeroplanes at various altitudes over the sea, <laughs> over rocks, over sand, just to see what the effect on these dummies would be. Because after this aeroplane had actually crashed and they'd recovered all the people from the aeroplane, they needed to know where they were in the aircraft. Right. So this guy over here. So they'd mark was, them. 
through dental records, must have been sitting in this seat. Right. He's missing his arm. He's got a shattered spine. His brain is missing. Um, this is equal to if he fell from this altitude onto this type of surface. So he must have come out here. The guy next to him is okay. And they, they just traced it all back like that and figured out where people were sitting and how the airplane broke up. Well, how many people are going to sit in a typical airplane in this in this era? Uh, this particular airplane was 36 people, if I remember rightly. 36 people died. And this is the kind of stuff, the, these the books you were flipping through when you were when you were growing up? Yeah, yeah, this is it. <laughs> you are sick. <laughs> Welcome know. to Caustic Soda. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate the fact, too, he said his dad was uh, primarily engaged in, like, the military exploits and whatnot. And as we all know from, you know, movies like The Right Stuff and all the rest of that, you know, the uh, the the old test pilot and experimental aircraft and whatever had a uh, probably much higher rate of cataclysmic right. dissolution than uh, than your regular commercial aircraft, right? But less deaths. Less deaths, more accidents. Interesting. Yeah, because even for a seven four seven, they're going to go up with the fly crew on board and no people inside it for the first few flights. So when it comes out of the sky, you, you just lose three or four people. It, jet aircraft when they were really pioneering that sort of stuff in the forties and fifties that. You know, you always had the ejector seat. Uh, no, you didn't. Over Farnborough, where my dad used to work, they were watching one aeroplane do a test, and something went wrong. It was one of the early ones with the very first jet engine in. Uh, as it went wrong, the guy decided that he ought to bail, so he slid back the canopy, stepped out the aeroplane, and cut himself in half on the tailplane. Oh, no! Went straight through the roof of one of the hangars. Oh, my God! <laughs> then came the ejector seat. <laughs> right. Oh, valuable lesson learned. Well, I guess they, they were testing ejector seats at the same time. Then, weren't they? <laughs> yes. I guess that, that was yeah, okay. About, around about the same time, they they realised the faster you went, they kind of started needing this. And even some of the Second World War yeah. um, high-speed piston-engine aircraft started to get ejector seats fitted to them. Oh, they hadn't quite figured out that you need to eject. It's not a biplane. You, you can't clear... just slide off the edge, right? <laughs> you can't wind walk at seven hundred and fifty mile an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Let's talk about quantity of death. Okay. We'll talk about the top three in numerical order of fatalities. All right. Now, are these fatalities like just amongst the people on the plane itself? I think probably. Well, yeah, I know. Everybody. Yeah, I know that from nine eleven there were two thousand nine hundred seven dead, and that included people in the planes and the people in the towers so is that the number one that's the number one on the official list that i've seen mm -hmm. close close to three thousand people but i kind of veer away from calling it an air accident because that was uh two planes yeah and... we're not calling it an air accident it's an we're air calling... intentional yeah but it's certainly an oh, air disaster yeah it's yeah. an air meat building disaster yeah yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah so the, yeah. the, the, what? the first plane <laughs> hit at like 10 after 5 in the morning right yeah and i worked in the film industry so i was in my car on the way to work Oh. And uh, I was listening to my iPod, not the radio. And uh, You had an iPod back then? Show off. Oh, you know what? I was probably listening to a CD. Okay. One of the guys that I work with, his car had broken down on the side of the road, and I saw, I saw him on the side of the road trying to fly me down, I picked him up, and as he got into the car, he goes, you got to turn on the radio. The <laughs> yeah. plane just crashed in the World Trade Center. And so we turned it on. They were talking about how uh, he was like, we're, nobody's sure if this was an accident, if this was a... Uh, yeah, this I was... was intentional. This was, you know, nobody knows anything going about it, whether it was pilot error or whether it was on purpose. And as he's in the middle of his little talk, the second plane hit. Yeah, that does. Yeah. Say, I had the same experience. And he lost his <clears throat> The guy on the radio that I was listening to lost his shit, right? He goes, he <laughs> All the humanity. The second plane has hit the second tower. We're under attack. 
Planes are falling from the sky! Like, he yeah. just lost his mind. Completely yeah. lost his shit right there in the middle of his Well, it was, it was world-changing. Uh, people had thought that, that the, as a matter of fact, there were people who thought that this could happen. Yeah, uh, as we learned later. Yeah, as we learned later, there were reports saying, hey, this could cause a lot of damage. Yeah, I mean, there were hopes reports, too. I mean, I remember hearing on the radio as we're driving in, like, oh, a plane had hit the Pentagon, a plane had hit the Justice Department, a plane was shot down going for the White House. Like, there yeah. was a plane that was supposed to hit a building in L.A. Of course, no, None of those had actually happened. Well, the Pentagon happened. The Pentagon happened. But, uh... Damn you, Tom Clancy. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about world changing, I mean, 9-11 totally changed the game for terrorists. There must be a lot of re like really angry hijackers out there right now. Who because... can't get their brother released from political Right, prison. yeah. Pre-9-11, you know, you would take a plane over and the, everybody in the plane would be like, okay, we're just going to sit calm. They'll make their demands and we'll get rescued or they'll give them what they want and or everything Mossad, will be fine. Or the Mossad will storm the plane or right. whatever, you know. You know, so the the thing is, sit tight. Don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen to us. We're just hostages. Uh, and now, as of 9-11, bam, changed. Everything's done. You get taken over. Your plane gets taken over. The first thing you do is just rush the guy. You take knife wounds. You if, Even if they have a gun, you're going to... Yeah, they can't get you all. They can't get you all, and you can get healed from a gunshot, but you can't get healed from being flown into a large building. Yeah, you don't put up with it anymore. So all those hijackers are out of a quote-unquote job. They can't. Uh, there's no young hijackers dreaming of one they day sit around. becoming a successful hijacker. Goddamn Sharmuta ruin our plans. <laughs> that one's sitting around listening to the radio going, Ah, damn it. <laughs> you Taliban oh, ruined it for that. us all. So 1977... Canary Islands. This is number two on the list. Uh, KLM 747 collided with the Pan Am 747 after the Ooh. captain of the KLM plane started his takeoff roll without clearance. That was a bad one. 583 dead. Wow. wow. Well, yeah, two full planes. Two oh. 747s of that. That's, that's, that was a bad one. Those are big planes. Uh, any survivors, or was it that everybody was down on both planes? Uh, on board KLM 4805, uh, none of the 234 passengers and 14 crew survived the accident. Uh, on the other plane, the PA-1736, of the 16 crew on board, there were nine fatalities, uh, seven survivors, and two company employees who were sitting in the cockpit jump seats. Of the 317 passengers on board, only 61 survived the accident, but nine died of their injuries at a later date. So, so 52 survivors, passenger-wise, and seven crew right. on the Pan Am. Because they probably land on top of the KLM. And they still don't know why that guy just decided to take off without clearance. He's a pilot, man. He does. It. He lives by his own rules. It's time to buzz the tower, That's Goose. Right. He watched Top Gun one too many times. <laughs> Torn doesn't get it. <laughs> He's just Is looking. You not, have you not seen Top Gun? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Torn hasn't seen Top Gun. I watched it the other day, and it's the first time I've seen it since everyone said it's a gay movie, and it you is. can't watch it without just thinking, "Yeah, how, how gay it is." Instead yeah, of absolutely. going, instead of going off to have sex with his hot instructor girlfriend, he decides to stick around and play late shirtless volleyball Oily. with a bunch of greased-up boys. Shirtless oily it's volleyball. Slow motion. And the song playing while they're doing it is called "Playing with the Boys." <laughs> Oh, man. Hey, man. Torn, you can't fly my wing anytime until you've seen Top Gun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number three, Japan oh. Airlines Flight 123 in 1985. Sadly, got a lot of work from this one. Oh, is that right? Uh, yeah. Seven, Boeing 747 crashed in, on Mount Osutaka, Japan. Tell me, tell me about it. Uh, it's a rear pressure bulkhead because you're flying in a massive cylinder. 
and it's a pressurized cylinder and the rear bulkhead um, was poorly serviced and what happened is the bulkhead fractured causing massive depressurization it took the tailplane out and then just everything started going wrong they lost all hydraulic fluid and the airplane just went straight on in and it's it's just one of these things which is uh, down to bad maintenance right uh, so after that, that all the aircrafts were checked out and all the pressure bulkheads were checked out um, on all the 747s of the same age just to make sure it wouldn't happen again. So, Lucas, do you have any statistics on like what percentage of air crashes or disasters are caused by pilot error, and how many of them are mechanical? Like, what's the breakdown? Is it like ninety ten? Is it fifty fifty? How does it how does it typically go? It's pretty much uh, like for like when it comes to mechanical disasters and uh, pilot error. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, anyway, the earlier on, of course, when aircraft weren't quite as advanced and we weren't quite as advanced, it was mainly towards structural failure. Hardly surprising, right? Is it Give like 99 out of 100 is pilot error, or is it 50 Percentage-wise, you're probably looking around about half of it. Close yeah. to okay. half of it All is right. going to be pilot error. All right. I'm going to say 48%. Of course, yeah, and that can be split down into just straightforward pilot error of uh, misjudgment, pilot error due to uh, actions taken during poor weather, um, pilot error due to a mechanical problem caused mainly by the pilot. So uh, you get it thrown that way. The other things you have is going to be a sabotage, mechanical failure, and weather. Yeah, mm. you can hardly blame sabotage on the pilot. And birds, as we... And birds, yeah. Mm. Other. Curse those... Birds, other birds, birds fall under other. Uh, they curse those Al-Qaeda geese. <laughs> <laughs> of the 520 people on the Japan Airlines Flight 123, four survived only. Wow. And interestingly enough, one of those was found, the 12-year-old girl, uh, Keiko Kawakami, was found in a tree. Oh, really? That was a, a scary crash, though, because it didn't... When you normally hear about a depressurization, you see movies, the airplane's just gone, bang, it's gone. Uh, this one, as it did its fall apart, it did it gently. Oh, I see. And oh, wait, hold on a second. So it was spread over a long area. <laughs> Can we yeah, it was spread over a long area. It took 30 minutes for the airplane to finally come to its end. Um, there wow. were reports that people actually wrote down farewell notes to you know, people What's on that? the ground. Yeah, it just broke up. The back end was coming apart, the right. depressurization all started, the aeroplane started going down, people thought this is the end, started writing what they had to write, and by the time they'd finished writing at the tail, let go completely, oh, and they I just see. lost the whole They airplane. had time to wow. write farewell yep. notes. Oh my god. How is that even possible for it to take 30 minutes to fall out of the sky? He's been ever so careful trying to get it to go down. Well, oh, you don't want to try and get it into a dive. You've already lost all pressure. You want to get it down to a, a good altitude, but oh, you've okay. got no idea what's going on. Oh, so I he's see. trying to get the aeroplane down, loses control. The aeroplane's not going down as fast as he wants it to go down. And in the meantime, the aeroplane's shaking itself to pieces. Now, wow. is that an actual like business terminology that this, this plane came down gently? Because I believe that's how you phrased it right off the top. But it doesn't sound gentle at all. <laughs> well, comparatively. Yeah. Just, it's, it was that's gentle a relative, for a point. That's a, that's a relative <laughs> term. And then it was less than gentle. <laughs> it was really gentle for 29 minutes and then really <laughs> not gentle for survive. one. Well, it's, you've got the uh, Hawaiian 737, which uh, there's loads of photos of that and videos of that. The airplane was flying along and there was a bad rivet line along the side of the airplane. Yeah, and the, the, like, the top popped off of it or something, right? That's it. Oh, that was where the stewardess wasn't strapped in. She got sucked out, right? Yeah, just think about that for a minute. Um, but, so they landed that. Yeah, yeah oh yeah, no, I've seen that footage. I've seen pictures of that. That's for a sure. A quarter of the top of the airplane is missing. Yeah. And yet, back in 1956, uh, an airliner back then, everybody was killed when a small screw came out. 
yeah. of an instrument on the, in the in the cockpit. A small screw came out and it caused everyone to die. That small screw caused a big screw. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So you can have something huge fall off an aeroplane. Everyone gets back and goes, we got out of that one. And then a yeah. small screw comes out and the aeroplane just, that's it, gone. So what? how did the small screw cause the crash? Have you ever been in one of those uh, fairground rides where you, you sit inside... And they've got the projector, and you feel like you're on a roller coaster and all that. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can't see what's happening. You're only tilting up a little bit, but you think you're going to do a loop-the-loop and what have you. Oh, okay. To get past this, what pilots have is all their instruments in front of you. So imagine you're sitting in the dark cockpit of an aeroplane, and you can't mm-hmm. see ahead of you, and you're doing a takeoff run. You've got an instrument in, t- in front of you that tells you how steep you're climbing. Right. right. And it's a little horizontal bar. That's true. this particular aircraft, the pilot was rocketing down the runway. He's got no idea of how the aeroplane is sitting, apart from what this instrument says. Right. Mm-hmm. He's pulling up, and it's feeling a little bit sluggish anyway, and he's looking at the gauge, and the gauge has stopped at a few degrees, and he's thinking, this isn't right. So he keeps on pulling up and applying more and more power, and the gauge isn't really moving. Right. What's happening on the outside of the aeroplane, though, is the thing's almost near vertical. Oh. It, it goes into a stall situation where the yeah. airflow over the wing breaks away, and... There's no lift, and the aeroplane just tail slid, came back on its tail out of the sky, and that was it. Wow. wow. What happened is an internal screw within this instrument had come out just a part of a turn. Oh, and no. Blocked, what? Yeah, and blocked the arm that held this bar. So the pilot was sitting there, had no idea of his attitude or the aeroplane's attitude, only trusting the instrument. He thinks he's pointing up at around about 30 degrees, and he's going vertical. Here's one for you. Um, getting of a certain age, have you heard of the thing called a borescope or an endoscope? A boroscope or an endoscope? I heard of an endoscope. It, it sounds like something that I don't want anywhere near any of my orifices. That's the thing. It was never, <laughs> it, it was never intended for medical use. Okay. Um, it was actually designed by a, a team leader for doing investigation into aircraft instruments. And the idea is if you take something apart, You've broken it. It's kind of like Shojin's cat. You can't look inside something without altering what's inside it. Yeah. So the guy in charge at the time said, listen, um, he got in contact with one of the uh, camera manufacturers and said, we need to do this, this, and this. And they came up with this uh, instrument which allowed you to make a small hole or go through a small hole in an aircraft instrument and look inside to see what was going on, which is how they found out about the air crash where the screw came out. Oh, nice. And the team leader again. Think about this when you're having your um, endoscope point in, uh, put into your bodily parts. I will. Team leader was my dad. <laughs> and it's British civil service, so it was just his day job. He didn't oh, get anything yeah. more for it. It was just a tool he needed to do his job. Ah, oh, well, there you go. An innovator. So, so yeah, <laughs> I'm none the richer for it. God damn it. Well, ah. well, well I'll be rooting for you when that. And yeah, the endoscopy happens. <laughs> the inevitable boroscopy. I'll be there like, thanks, Dad! <laughs> Having uh, gone through all this uh, literature and, you know, practical experience, uh, where's the safest place to sit on a plane? Oh, yeah, there's lots of urban legends here about this, like over the wing or in the tail or right near the cockpit. What? Uh, what? Give us the skinny. Give us the straight dope. 
Well, the best place to sit is up front, because if anything's going to go wrong, you want to be up front so it goes wrong quickly. <laughs> if, if it's going to fall out of the sky, it's going to fall out of the well, sky. Well, that's, a, that's, that's a slightly enough. different philosophy than uh, I think most other people would share, but I guess that's what you get for being around all that sort of investigative well, it, material, right? Here's a quick fact for you from a thesis I wrote. A Swedish air safety expert back in 1969 estimated if the then-present safety level of 1969 was preserved in proportion to the expansion of the growing air traffic, there would be 60,000 fatalities in 2000. So in the year 2000, you'd expect to see 60,000 people die if safety and air travel carried on going at the expenditure it was in 1969. Right. And how are we doing? In the year 2000, there were 1,231 fatalities. But if we'd have used his estimate, the amount of flights that were going out per year were completely, completely off. There were 20 million departures, which using this guy's uh, maths would have given you 1.2 million fatalities if we were still working the same safety records of 1969. So it goes to show how safe it is. 1.2 thousand instead of 1.2 million. Right. Yeah, that's how safe we are now. So wherever you want to sit, I'd I'd suggest (laughs) sitting at the back of a 747 in the second row back on the two bench seats because there's lots more room in front of you to stretch your legs. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. That's comfortable. Once I was happy, but now I'm forlorn Like an old parachute tattered and torn I'm left for the whole world to mock and to scorn Dropped by a man in a plane Now this man that I love is a flyer And he sure knows what safety's about So whenever my heart is on fire why, the son of a gun puts it out. Oh, he flies through the air in a P-39 and swoops and swoops and swoops down to read every Burma-shaped sign. He's all full of carrots. His eyesight is fine. But he still can't see nothing in me. He flies through the air in a B-24. He don't fall asleep or black out anymore. He's so wide awake, he's the pride of the core. Oh, but still he's unconscious of me. Now this man is beyond understanding. Why, I'm up in the air more than he. He makes many a beautiful landing, but he never lands nowhere near me. Oh, he pilots his plane and he pilots it smart. He pilots and pilots and pilots and pilots were always apart. If there's any love in that brave pilot's heart, well, why don't he pilot on me? Airplane. Uh, love that movie. Everyone loves Airplane. One yeah. of the first movies I ever saw boobs in. 
<laughs> and it's that random yeah, scene yeah. right near the very beginning when they first it's like the plane's going down and everybody starts to panic and scream and, and then this just... woman just runs in and just waggles her <laughs> boobs in the camera and then runs out you never see who it was you never see them again and uh yeah it was it was awesome burn themselves into your impressionable young mind oh, good genius Lord. i could pick those boobs out of a lineup we've also got uh, top gun the aforementioned top gun oh there's air disasters uh, in there yeah. yeah well goose bites it Oh, goose. They, uh, oh. So they go into a flat spin and they go to a jack, but the, uh, because they're in a spin, the canopy doesn't come off clean. Tom Cruise's uh, buddy, his, his navigator, his navigator uh, goose pot, like ejects right into the canopy and snaps his neck and is dead before he hits the ground. Oh, my That's God. That's the sad part. Yeah. 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 And that was uh, played by um, Anthony, what's his name? Anthony Edwards from ER. From ER, yeah. Uh, and also his, from uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds. And his wife in the movie was Meg Ryan. Meg, lovely Meg Ryan. Back when she was cute, back before she became a horrible troll. Hey, Goose, you big stud. <laughs> yeah. Take me to bed or lose me forever. forever. Show yeah. me the way home, dear. I love that part. Oh, yeah, Lost started out with an air disaster, of course. Of course. Uh, that's why I couldn't watch it. Oh. Oh, yeah. you were a conscientious really objector? Or, uh... Oh, I see. Well, they have that part where the, the right at the beginning, which is like one of the only episodes I've watched that was the premiere, mm -hmm. uh, where that guy gets sucked into the jet engine. Did he? I don't remember. Yeah, because it, it, it had crashed, and the engine was still going oh, on the yeah, beach. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. And there's actually a guy <clears throat> um, on an aircraft carrier uh, named uh, Petty Officer J.D. Bridges, who did that exact same thing happen to him. I, I've seen yeah. this footage. It's he on survived, YouTube. didn't he? Yeah, yeah he survived. He didn't actually go all the way through, which yeah. is why he survived. His, like, jacket or vest or something got caught on the outside of the engine, and Ooh. it kept him from being sucked through the turbine. Well, yeah, he got sucked through. He got caught on the inside, and then his helmet and goggles and some other stuff got sucked off of him. And they Have stopped you seen the video. Yeah, and yeah. they stopped the engine from the video is pretty incredible. Like, slow down the engine. It looks like it's like CGI because he gets sucked up so fast into this thing. Wow! It, it, he doesn't even. And look then there's like just a big bright flash. Looks, and... Yeah, looks like a like a rag doll. It's really incredible footage. Did anybody see the footage of the Concorde, the one that uh, like burst into flames and? I a little bit. Yeah. Was this the Airbus? You say? Yeah, the the Concorde that basically led to oh, all the Concords yeah. being uh, grounded. That's what is. That truly, really is a, a bad crash, because there was things in place for that to not happen. Oh, and they were ignored. Elucidate us, like what? In a, in aviation safety, there are certain standards and letters that come out. So if a problem's been found somewhere, there's you, you've got to fix this. There's there's service bulletins, airworthiness directives, and all sorts come out. It's like a red Some flag. Of them, yeah, it's all it's all kind of like um warning. All aeroplane must have this done before they do so many hours and then they've got to have this check done so many times after that until a modification's carried out because of this. Right. But then there's a lesser level thing, which is an advisory, which is uh we've noticed some of the aeroplanes have this problem. You could try yeah, you you can do this, this is a fix, but we don't see it as being a major problem. Concorde had a few problems. Advisories are brought out. The British, being the British, went, right, we're going to do everything to the book. The French, not so much. Oh. And mm. the thing that actually brought that Concorde down was uh, some debris from the runway, which hadn't been cleared up correctly. Was it, it a baguette? It flipped up, hit the bottom of the uh, <laughs> wing, opened up a fuel tank, which caught fire. The aeroplane went off, poof, all gone. And all of this 
could have been avoided or most likely been avoided if they'd have uh, followed out these suggestions on air safety. So yeah, something that could have been avoided. So that to me is a, a really bad disaster right. if it happens uh, when people knew it you know, could have been stopped. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was pretty much the beginning of the end for the Concorde, that crash. That's it, yeah. For Air France, it was going to cost them far too much. Uh, for everything else that was then thrown in for the UK, uh, British Airways just started seeing it as being too expensive as well. And once you've lost half the Concorde fleet flying, spares become an issue too. Yeah, spare parts uh, and whatnot. Yeah, it was the death knell. Let's talk about uh, pop culture then, shall we? Oh, yeah. Well, we already talked about Lost, right? A lot of fans of Lost out there. I think Lost is stupid. I yeah, thought you... it started off good. Yeah. And, uh, you know what? Started off bad. <laughs> <laughs> Someone doesn't agree. <laughs> oh my god, as soon as I saw the aeroplane crash and I just thought, that's just rubbish. If that's what they're basing this whole thing on, I'm not watching it again. <laughs> well, it was, it was a magical airplane crash. <laughs> that's why it was odd. It turns out to be a magical <laughs> it airplane crash. turns out to be... I don't know, I didn't stick with the... I think I watched two seasons and then went, oh, this is just... They're never going to give me the answers I want. I'm going to stop watching. Apparently, my wife kept watching, and apparently it uh, it gets better, and she thought that the ending was quite satisfying. What about uh, air disasters in mythology? Who's got one? Icarus? Oh, yeah. The flight of Icarus? Fly a little too close to the sun. That's right. Just like all of us in this room. How would that work from uh, from your standpoint, uh, Lucas? So as our resident uh, expert, uh, how would you describe the uh, Icarus disaster? I would describe it as um, flawed. My dad went and investigated it because during the time when there was not many air crashes, he decided as a project he would just look into it for a bit of fun. Uh, when he started looking into he really, it, he realized that He really Icarus, takes his work home with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's like one of those things that turns into a hobby because you do it so much. But one of the things that he found out was that Icarus's body was found on an island, and the feathers were found a little way away from the island. And he just started thinking, well, is this possible? So he started doing a bit of maths, and this goes back to what I was saying um, earlier about trajectory plotting and stuff like that. If the feathers were so far away from the land, then ocean currents must have carried them there. So he looked into ocean currents and realized that <laughs> if the body was there and the body was in this type of state something was up so he got really into it and he found out that eyewitness reports of the time or written reports of the time right. showed that icarus was seen to be um an angel so he was not so low that people could see as a man with wings strapped to his back and he wasn't so high that he was mistaken for a bird so he started figuring out altitude from this <laughs> <laughs> yeah it gets better they so he figured out the altitude um, that Icarus was meant to have been at. Then he figured out that the wind currents around the time, and he got all these metrology reports around the time, um, modern times and what have you, and found out that if Icarus had been at a certain altitude, based on the height that witnesses say he was at, his body would have fallen onto the land and the feathers would have drifted to a certain point, which tied up with where they found the feathers and the body. And out of this, there are three outcomes. The guy who originally wrote the story was bloody good at maths, physics, geography, uh, meteorology. Or he was very lucky when he wrote the story and just happened to get the facts right, apart from one major one. Or it actually happened. And the biggest <laughs> fact that was wrong about the whole thing is when Icarus took off, as he went higher, 
temperature drops and as temperature yeah. drops the wax in the wings became more fragile and hardened up and the wax broke up as he went higher and it didn't melt it didn't melt that's oh, it was for you it became brittle but other than that it became brittle other than that it was a, a scientifically accurate depiction of a winged man's plummet to earth absolutely the guy who wrote it just got it all absolutely spot on i can yeah. understand the hope but there's just a, there's no way that you could build something out of wax and feathers that would give you lift. Your arms can't. Didn't uh, didn't Da Vinci didn't lean on no, Da Vinci? Jumped, he just jumped off of a very high tower. Yeah. Da Vinci was uh, pretty much of a genius because all of his designs would have worked. Uh, didn't he? He had like a flapping thing that you would strap to your back. Wasn't yeah. that one of his yeah. designs? Was well, like a whirly gig. And, yeah. But, but it wasn't built out of feathers and wax. Wow. You know, I mean, completely little, ignored by the French. <laughs> a little artistic license on the part of the author, perhaps. <laughs> In a Da Vinci-esque uh, apparatus that was strapped to somebody's torso, I'm 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 pulling for it. I'm keeping okay. fingers crossed. Go Daedalus, the greatest greatest human mind of his era, evidently. And we have a navy base nearby named after him. It's a it's an there awesome you. sounding. Didn't name. he also create the uh, the labyrinth that they put the Minotaur, Minotaur in? in? I, I think he did. I'm gonna reveal a secret here on Caustic Soda. My middle name is Daedalus. Sure it is. Or at least I want it to be anyway. <laughs> There's a plane crash in Donnie Darko. Oh, uh, Donnie Darko! Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Spoiler Donnie. alert. Well, doesn't that happen at the beginning of the movie? I think it's just the jet engine lands at the very beginning. Isn't that what happens? Yeah, the, yeah, the jet well, engine lands in his in You his can land. land with one jet engine, right? Yeah, I guess, I guess you yeah. can yeah. land with no jet engines. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get aircraft that are coming in to land, and it's been known that a uh, big airliner is coming in, and it's just lost all four engines just because oh. it's run out of fuel. It's done its fuel checks incorrectly. And uh, actually, oh. with the Sullenberger, uh, Captain Sully Sullenberger, with his crash in the, was it the New Jersey River? His splashdown. Uh, splashdown. He lost both engines. He was in a two-engine uh, jet and uh, had a, hit a massive bird uh, flock and lost both engines and managed to land safely. All and, those birds. And not a single uh, fatality in that one. I know. Uh, but we're going to have to just wipe out all birds to make the sky safe for us. <laughs> uh, the great part about Donnie Darko, the thing I really appreciated about that film, was it was one of those movies where you watch it, mm -hmm. and you get to the end of the movie, and you're so confused, <laughs> and you don't really understand what happened, but you know you liked it. You know, you're left with a favorable impression of like, how the whole thing went down. And you automatically think, I gotta watch this movie again. Yeah. So that I can start to actually decipher what happened. You should right. have done that with the serious man. No. <laughs> no, there's no need. There's nothing there. There's um a film from the nineteen fifties with Jimmy Stewart in it. Oh, what happened? Which... What's the movie, um, first of all? His new airliner would come out, new modern airline would come out, and one of the uh, the boffins, uh, a place called RAE Farnborough, which is the Royal Aircraft Establishment at Farnborough, um, just had some serious doubts about it. And he was trying to prove his point until one of these aircraft went in, uh, which really proved his point. But um, it was all about the internal struggles between him and the company and keeping the airplane flying and keeping the money coming in. And uh, Jimmy Stewart based the character on my father. And what On your father? What's the name of the movie? Yeah. The uh, the movie is called No Highway in the Sky. It was uh, Jimmy Stewart and uh, Marlena Dietrich. So how did Jimmy Stewart know your father? Well, it's filmed at the uh, Royal Aircraft Establishment over in Farnborough, where I live. And because my dad was that boffin, right. uh, Jimmy oh. Stewart hung around with him to see what he was like. And if oh. you ever see the movie, you'll see that Jimmy Stewart is a little bit more squirrely and twitchy. But I can watch <laughs> it, and I, I can see my dad in him. Oh, wow. <laughs> did, uh, Just really, really spot on. Did uh, did he spend any time with your dad? Or, uh... He spent a lot of time, yeah. 
Did your dad, uh, did he talk like this? Uh... <laughs> they shared the same quiff. That's about as far as that went. Really. Well, that's cool. I can't think of any comics or video games that are based on, well, or then, even TV shows, really. In the uh, in the Superman relaunch, the Brian Singer Superman relaunch, he, uh, he catches caught, the he catches oh, the plane true. from crashing yeah. like right in the middle of a stadium. One of the few super things he does. Please, uh, the stupidest thing put me off is Superman. You know, like I said, I'm brought up among all his aircraft stuff, and what happens is they all strap on these little mini balloons to their back, and straight away, then I thought that can't happen. Superman, <laughs> no problem. Miniature balloons, not a chance. Turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you look at every movie through this filter, there, Lucas? Do you? Uh, does I, I really realistic... try not to, but some bits are so deeply embedded in me. It's like. I, I just can't turn away. <laughs> uh, There's another movie for you, um, The Aviator. Oh. oh, yeah, of course. The Howard Hughes movie, where oh, he almost kills movie. himself in his new yeah. modern prototype. Uh, the Spruce Goose? The Spruce no, no, the, Goose. Uh, no, he never he flew the Spruce that. Goose, but he almost killed himself in the XF-11, which was a fighter he was making. Oh, yeah, that's the scene where he crashes like through the roofs of all those suburban houses, right? That's the one, yeah. yeah. But uh, no, the, Spru- the Spruce Goose got off, got off the ground, or off the water? For yeah. like a foot and a half, for like sixty yards or something. How come yeah, the first one is called the XLF one or whatever, and the second one's called the Spruce Goose? Oh no, no, different planes entirely. I know, but yeah, why does one have yeah. the, the the fancy science the ridiculous name? name? <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, well, one definitely sounds like way more futuristic than the other. Well, the Spruce Goose probably well, the has Spruce a... Goose was the H uh, four Hercules. Okay, was his proper proper title, and um, yeah, it flew, but. Modern science looks at it and says well, it didn't fly properly like a conventional aeroplane. There's a thing called winging ground effect, where the air on the ground affects the air on the wing above itself and kind of causes a cushion underneath it. <laughs> well, Lucas, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for joining us, Lucas. Have a good day. Okay, cheerio. <laughs>